So we're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to start at verse 16 and then work our way uh, through the, the end of the chapter, focusing on uh, reconciliation. Verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. You know, February marks Black History Month, which could be a very enriching time, or it could be a time that continues some of the divisions that we don't always like to touch and talk about in the church. Uh, growing up, whenever February would come around, I would have friends that would say, you know, oh man, this is an exciting month. We get to learn more about black history, black culture. And then I'd have some people would say, you know, why you got to have a black history month? You know, why can't I have white history month? Why can't you? And then I'd have some black friends that say, well, look, y'all get the rest of the months. We just like one, you know, <laughs> you, know th you know, thank you for our quarter month. And so sometimes things that should bring us together, things that should stretch us to have a more enriching experience of God and the diversity of humanity, sometimes those same things can be used as tools to divide us so that we never experience the fullness of our relationship with God and right relationship with one another. Um, could it be that in principle, Paul understood some of this as he wrote these two letters to the city of Corinth. Corinth was a very diverse city, uh, but was having a problem in the context of this first church finding unity in the midst of diversity. Paul does two things here in verse 16. One, what I, what I like about Paul is he doesn't separate um, how we see one another from how we see Jesus. Right. That, that's very important. If in the Christian church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are going to have some unity across racial and ethnic lines, across class lines, across gender, if we are going to somehow find unity in the midst of diversity, transformation, and not just tolerance, we're, we're going to have to deal with not just our relationship with one another, but that that is it's crucial to tie that in our relationship with God. That's right. Uh, Jesus does this when talking about how you sum up all of the commandments when he talks about loving God with everything that you have, everything that you are, and ties that into loving one another as yourself. Jesus refuses to separate these two. He, it's, it's tied together. Uh, a holistic love and relationship with God is directly tied into right relationship with one another. If, if there's a dysfunction or a wrong view of Jesus, we will never never get to a right view of how we relate to one right. another Amen. in the midst of all this diversity. See, we at times have seen Jesus from a human point of view. The more I can make Jesus look like me, the better I can deal with Jesus. Right. You know, if Jesus has the same political perspective as me, if Jesus talks like me, looks like me, then I can deal with Jesus. But if Jesus stretches me beyond who I am as a human being, I don't know if I want that Jesus right there. I don't know if I want to deal with a Jesus that takes me beyond even the outer physical human view of how I see myself and other people. That's right. 
To understand Jesus, you can't just make him what the disciples wanted to make him at first, which was just this radical, earthly, human king. You have to see Jesus as as the, the God that invades our world, but you also have to see Jesus as victory over death, as victory over Satan, as taking on our sin. See, there's a holistic, more complex, bigger issue here to know Jesus. And to make Jesus a white man or to make Jesus a Democrat or a Republican, you're putting a human view on Jesus and and we'll never have true tie-in and unity and life with Jesus the way God would intend. And the same is true for ourselves. If we strictly are trying to build relationships with one another in the body of Christ based on stereotypes and prejudices or black and white, uh, we will never uh, live in the unity of reconciliation that God has called us to be in the body of Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want you not to see my ethnicity. I mean, I want you to see that I'm a handsome chocolate brown brother. I mean, I want you to. Amen. Yeah, I want you to see that. Yeah, you know, you know, I don't want you not to see who I am. I want you to experience my heritage and and and, and my background and, and because the more you know about me and I know about you, the, the better grasp we get about the fullness of God. But we can't stop there. You need to know my soul. To be in unity with me, you need to know beyond my pigmentation, beyond my face, facial features. You need to know what, what's going on in my head, what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my spirit. And when we get to that foundation, now now we can go beyond just diversity and tolerance and we can jump on board and get into transformation and unity. Amen. All right. All right. You are one handsome chocolate dude. Let me tell you that. You, you're a good looking vanilla guy if go. I could say go. that. <laughs> you guys are getting, and we're, and we're both so humble. That's the most beautiful thing about yeah. it. I mean, that's. We just speak truth here this morning, okay? Praise God. I, I appreciate this brother so much. Uh, that's good preaching. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. To continue on. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everyone, everybody say everything. everything. Everything old has passed away. It's old in the light of the new. And see, everything has become new. Everything has become new. Everything old is passed away. Everything has become new. Now, what's the old? The old is the old creation. The old is this seeing things from a strictly human point of view. The word Paul uses there is actually the word for flesh. It denotes uh, the perspective and way of living in the world and way of experiencing the world that characterizes people after the fall. The human race as a whole and us individually have been separated from God. We're in a state of war with God, left to our own devices. Uh, We do not live in consistency with God. And uh, God created all of us to have an inner need for Him. It's a need to feel important. Everybody here needs to feel that. It's a need to feel like you're worthwhile. Everybody here needs to feel that. It's a need to feel like you're unconditionally loved, not for what you do, but for who you are. Everybody in this auditorium and everybody on this planet needs to feel that. But when we're in rebellion with God, there's a wall that separates us from God. The need continues, but we're no longer getting the need met by our relationship with God alone. 
And so we have to try to get our need met by our relationship to other people and to other things. This is the old creation. This is life in Adam. It's life in the flesh. It's living life from a strictly human point of view. It's living life as an empty center, a vacuum, trying to scrape up a little bit of worth on the basis of what you think about yourself or what other people think about yourself or about, about what you can acquire or what you can do and things of that sort. Now, one of the most common ways that in the flesh people have tried to get worth, to feel good about themselves, to feel important about themselves, is by latching on to some distinct characteristic of themselves. Maybe it's their athletic ability, or maybe it's their intellectual capacities, or maybe it's their religiosity, but they define themselves over and against others, and it makes them feel special. I'm smart, and you're not. I'm fast, and you're not. I'm good-looking, and you're not. And one of the most common ways that that idea, that idolatry has been played out through history, is that people land on the distinctiveness of their people group. And they, they just decide that their way of doing life uh, is, is better than others. It's, it, it's throughout history. Our nationality is the best nationality. Our nation is the best nation. Our views are all the right views, and our music is the best music, and our skin color is the best skin color. And, and, and you get worth, you feel significant of the fact that you participate in the superior group. And where you believe that you are part of the superior group, there will, there will inevitably be a tendency to dominate other people groups because you think they deserve it. In fact, you might think you're doing them a favor by dominating them. Uh, the, uh, the colonizers of America, in their heads, thought they were doing a favor to people by imposing their supposedly superior culture on other people groups. That's the old way of living. But you see, Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. There is a new creation. Now, finally, creation begins to be what God wanted the creation to be. It's not a fragmented creation. It's a united creation. Because when you're in Christ, if anybody is in Christ, you found the source of life you were looking for. Amen? You found the worth that you're looking for. You found the value that you've been hungry for. You found the love that you were created to enjoy. In Christ, you begin to drink of the wellspring of life that God has for you. And as you get your life and worth from that, the, there's no longer any need to try to get your life from the color of your skin or the su supposed superiority of your people group or your nation or the rightness of your particular philosophy or the, the superiority of your music or whatnot. If I'm standing up here before you, and I am, as a child of God, and I know my unsurpassable worth in Jesus Christ because I'm a new creature, if I know who I am in Christ, and I know that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I know that I've received that amazing grace. And I know that I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I know that I've been filled in the Spirit by the Spirit of God. And I know that God walks with me and He'll never leave me or He'll never forsake me. And I feel the full value and the feel joy of that more than conquering life that He died for me to have. If in fact I'm living in that, what possible need would I have to try to get a little bit of worth from the color of my skin? Or get a little bit of worth because I'm American instead of Iraqi? Or I'm rel religious instead of non-religious? Or I'm in the church instead of outside the church? Or I'm holy instead of unholy? Or I'm straight instead of gay? Or I'm Baptist instead of Lutheran? Or I'm tall instead of short? Or what have you? 
When you're in Christ and you experience that worth, you realize there's no life found in that fragmentation. There's no life found in looking at the world from that strictly human point of view where you're dividing up the world and carving it up in terms of all these distinctions, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in a way that just serves yourself. When you're in Christ, you're a new creation, you have a new life, and the old has passed away. Everything old is gone, don't need it any longer, don't have any other purpose for it. Behold, all things are new. I look at the world in a different way. I look at it from a divine perspective, praise God. And now when you have life and from Christ and you're no longer trying to get it from that pathetic mode of living in the flesh, now you're in a position to begin to be used by God to do something about this fragmented creation. You become a reconciler. And at this point, I want to turn over to my brother Ephraim. Take it away. Verses 18 and 19 of 2 Corinthians 5 says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to God's self, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation now to us. Uh, here Paul is showing us for reconciliation to be real, uh, for the rubber to hit the road, uh, we have to take on the very methods of relationship and reconciliation that God took on with us. What God has done with us has now been entrusted to us to live out with other people in this earth. You see, when I think about God's love, God's reconciling love, that is such a mystery to me. It is so amazing to me. It's beyond what I can figure out when I think about how wrong humanity's done God. I mean, I, I'm assuming if God wanted to, God could count up and have a very long list of all the things we've done collectively as a humanity and individually that shows how much we are in rebellion uh, against God. God right. could say, you know, look, I made promises to you, and, and, and you never wanted to live in those promises with me. You know, I wanted to be your God, but yet you make gods out of gold and money, and you take materialism, and you put that, uh, you know, before me. Uh, I mean, you, you, you commit adultery against me, basically, in the way you live your life. You, you've done so much messed up stuff. I mean, God could speak judgment, judgment, right. guilt, shame, and make a whole bunch of lists to show why we are the ones that are at fault in rebellion against God. But what is so amazing, so mysterious, so awesome about God is God decides not to dwell on all of the things we've done wrong in rebellion against God, but to be a force of love and pursue us anyway. Praise God. So God comes Amen. to earth anyway. Hallelujah. God dies anyway. God Amen. raises anyway. God is saying, regardless of how rebellious you've been, what you've done, what you've thought, what you've said, I love you so much that I pursue you anyway. Hallelujah. Now, what the hard part is, though, that that same radical love God now is entrusting in me to be an ambassador. God is saying, okay, now I'm entrusting to you the same force, the same method, the same message that I use to pursue you. Now, you use it to pursue people among you. I have to admit that's hard for me. I mean, being an African-American... 
it's much easier for me. And, and there are days when I would rather live in the reality of not reconciliation, but responsibility. Well, if white people would just take responsibility for this history, maybe we could talk. Okay. I mean, maybe as a woman, you've said, you know, if men would just take responsibility for this, then we can talk. You know, I don't want to reconcile. I want people to take responsibility. Or white people go, instead of talking all about that racism, why don't you just take responsibility and get a job and do this? Why don't you just do this? And so everybody's like having these shouting matches, whether it's, it's, it's outer or internal, saying, why don't you take responsibility? No, why don't you take responsibility? No, why don't you? No, why? Look, I got a long list. You know, white people, hey, look at you. Yeah, you want to watch this documentary? You want to read this book? I can show you all all the stuff white people have done throughout history. Here, here's a whole list. Matter of fact, I got another page right here. Look at it, volume three. Look at all the stuff y'all done did to me. Okay. I ain't gonna forget this right here. Look, I'm counting up all the sins of white folks right here. I'm counting up all the sins of men right here. Right. Look, you know, there might be women that say, look, I don't like the way you treat me. I don't like during the Super Bowl to have to watch a commercial with two women in bikinis wrestling in some mud. That's not who I am. I'm a daughter of God. Don't be pimping me to all sell right. some beer or sell a car. So look at all this stuff I can count up. Well, they like that one. Yeah, 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 I like that, huh? That was an all-female clap there. Yeah, I was yeah. with this. Yeah, I got to give the white men something y'all can clap about now, huh? Don't you go stepping yeah. on my commercials now. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I repent, I repent. <laughs> Praise I repent. God, pray. Okay, there we go. I've been healed. But you see what I'm saying? The point is, it's much easier for me to live in diversity, but yet live in division because I want to spend time counting up the sins that got us to the division in the first place. But I serve a God that spends more time talking about reconciliation than the responsibility of division. And I got to live with that. That's right. You know, I, I got to live with the Bible that God pursues me in spite of all the messed up stuff I've done. So as an African-American, I have to wrestle with having a, a, a unified, reconciling relationship with my brothers and sisters that are white, brothers and sisters across racial lines, and focus on reconciliation because that's what's been entrusted to me. It is hard when you represent a group that's traditionally been oppressed or done wrong to still carry the responsibility that's been entrusted to you by God. You know, it reminds me of, of the new, the latest uh, Lord of the Rings movie. Uh, and, and I won't say too much to give it away if you haven't seen it. Um, but Frodo is a hobbit. And in this fantasy story of Lord of the Rings, the hobbits seem to me to be like the lowest of the people groups. Okay? They're the shortest. They're the low, they probably get stepped on, you know, sometimes on accident. Like, I didn't mean to step on you, hobbit, but I didn't know that your head was down here. You know, it, you know, it'd be like living in a land of a whole bunch of mini-me's or something. And you don't mean to step on them. You don't mean to do them wrong. Sometimes you say the wrong thing. Sometimes you say a phrase that's very discriminatory to a hobbit. You know, you shouldn't have said that to the hobbit. You, you broke the hobbit's heart when you said that, right? And so here's Frodo, the lowest of the lows of a people, but yet he He's carrying the ring around his neck. There's this scene in, in the two towers where, where Frodo is, is falling over and he can't stand up and he's falling on the ground and he looks at his hobbit friend and he says, I don't know if I can carry the weight anymore. I mean, it's a little ring like that, but yet he's going, I don't know if I can carry the weight. 
I identify with Frodo. Sometimes I don't know as an African-American if I can carry the weight of reconciliation. I mean, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I sing the songs. I pray. I go to church. I read the Bible. You know, that Bible is such a little book. But yet, sometimes I don't know if I can carry the weight of it. You know what I mean? Uh, But yet God has entrusted this to me, and, and I don't know if I can carry the weight of forgiveness. I don't know if I can carry the weight of giving up anger and rage in order to live. You know, these people are still doing me wrong. There are people that still look at me funny. I still get followed around the mall when I'm shopping. I still get pulled over just because I had a windsuit on instead of a, a, a three-piece suit on. And yet I'm supposed to carry the weight of reconciliation and love and grace and forgiveness. And I'm asking you today to consider if you're a a part of a group that's been traditionally done wrong, you're still being done wrong, I'm asking you to live in the tension of, of talking about responsibility sometimes, but living a life of reconciliation and being willing to carry the weight. I know it's hard. It's tough. Man, sometimes you have like arthritis in your spirit, but you have to carry the weight. Sometimes it gets so heavy. Maybe it's because you're, you're estranged from your, your parents. Maybe this is not just racial. Maybe this is, you know, I, I had an alcoholic father or, or, or a, a mother that was, that was stoned out on drugs, and so I still have anger and bitterness and depression, and I can't carry, Ephraim, I don't know if I can carry the weight of forgiveness and grace and love. Sometimes I'm falling down. I can't rise. I can't get up. But this is what you have to realize, sister and brother, you are not down here by yourself. Jesus Christ Hallelujah. is living in you. Amen. The Spirit of God is upon Woo! you. You can get up. You can Amen. hold your head up high. You can stand up straight. If Christ be in Hallelujah. me, I can carry the weight. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. In Christ, all things are possible. Verses 20 through 21. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, his appeal of reconciliation, he's doing it through the church. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, that's Christ, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a passage. Uh, A couple words uh, as I'm getting into this part of my, my message uh, that are, are key here. One is the word reconciled. Katalages uh, in Greek. It means to bring together two parties. Basically, where there's conflict, uh, you bring resolution. Where there's war, you bring peace. When two parties are separated, you bring them together. When there's a wall between them, you tear the wall down. When there's a gulf between them, you bridge the gulf. That's what reconciliation is all about. It's to reunite that which has been separated. To undo the fragmentation of God's creation, uh, between God and people, and between people and people, and even between people and themselves, the destiny, the plan that, that God has for them. We're to be about reconciliation. Secondly, Paul uses this word ministry, uh, diakonia. It, uh, it literally means to wait on tables. We are to be ministers, he says, of reconciliation. Uh, the term means service, to wait on tables, uh, to come under another, to uh, enter into their needs. Uh, to, to serve them in any way possible. Jesus was doing uh, ministry when he washed the feet of his disciples. It, it's getting down on your knees to serve another, to be a minister of reconciliation, 
doesn't mean it's just a little tag that you wear or some words that you speak. It means getting involved in service. We bring about the, the undoing of the fragmentization of peoples by serving people, uh, by loving them. Then finally, he says, he says, he uses the word ambassador. Ephraim referred to that. An ambassador was uh, one who speaks on behalf of another, one who represents a delegate of another, another country usually. We hear a lot about the ambassadors in the United Nations these days. An ambassador is there, and their commission is to uh, speak on behalf of their country, to represent their country. They're not allowed to have, you know, speak their own agendas, their own opinions on things. That doesn't matter. And they're certainly not allowed to appropriate the values and the ideals and the ideologies of the other uh, countries that they're in dialogue with. An ambassador has to speak the language and the ideology and the program of, and, the, and the purposes of the, of the country that they represent. The ambassador from Iraq has to represent the Iraqi interest, and the ambassador from Zimbabwe has to represent the Zimbabwe interest, and, and so on and so on. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. This is our, our most core definition. And what Paul is saying in this passage is that the central thing that Jesus Christ is about is reconciliation. Reconciling people who have been estranged from God, reconciling them to God, and reconciling people to God's plan for their life because they're set apart from that, and reconciling people to one another. We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're amb- we are, as it were, think of it this way, we're ambassadors from this nation called reconciliation. And we're stationed behind enemy lines uh, in a distant country, and our job description is to represent the reconciler in all that we say and in all that we do, and especially in how we love and how we serve. Our job is to represent the reconciler. It's not to bring in all of our own opinions, and it's certainly not to let the the, the foreign country that we're a part of uh, make an impact on us and control our thinking and our doing. It's to represent the, the country of reconciliation. To be a delegate of the reconciler. Our job as a church is not to represent our righteousness as opposed to those who are, we think are unrighteous. Because we're all unrighteous. It's not to represent the rightness of our views, the superiority of our thinking, the, uh, the, the wisdom of our political positions and all of our agendas. To stand over the culture and get mad at them and get angry at them because they're not acting the way that we think people should act. No, our job is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ the reconciler. And we do it by serving. Our only task is to serve. That's how we represent. In fact, Paul uses the model of God, as Ephraim referred to, to show how we're supposed to do it. God made him who knew no sin, the sinless one, Jesus Christ. He made him to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the the, the trade that is at the center of the gospel. Here's the God's deal. And if you haven't, if you haven't accepted this deal this morning, you got to do it. Uh, God says, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you my righteousness if you'll give me your sin. And if you'll say yes to that, then I'll make you righteous. And then, then we'll be reconciled. You'll have my righteousness. Uh, that's why we call the grace amazing grace. You know, it, it, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, one way of looking at that is this. God took upon himself our problems. He didn't have a problem, we did. He didn't rebel against us, we rebelled against him. He didn't distance himself from us, 
We distance ourselves from him. We were in sin. We were in a damnable state. We were not reconciled to God. We were at war with God. But God made our problem his problem. That's how he served us. That's how he reconciled us to himself. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He took on our sin. He took on our, 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 our alienation. He took on our God-forsakenness. He took on our suffering. He took on our woe. He took on our rebellion. He took on the, 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 the junk. I'm censoring here. The, all the, the, the most yucky stuff. The yucky stuff that humanity has to offer. He took it upon himself. He entered straight into it. Went smack dab in the middle of our hell to reconcile us to, to himself. That, that there could now be peace where there was war. That there'd be reconciliation where there was separation. That's amazing grace. Praise God. That's the amazingness of God's grace. And then he says, now you go and do likewise. You go and do like. You know, see what I did? Now, now you do it. That's the ring that Ephraim's talking about. You go out and do this. Be representatives, ambassadors of this. This is, your, this is your one job description is to do that. We are first and foremost servants of the world. Believer, you're a servant of the world. We don't go, oh, our job is not to stand over and, and, and throw stones at the culture and things we disagree with. Our job is to get on our knees and serve, to lay down our life for others and to enter into their situation, to make their issues our issues. Uh, that's what it is, to enter into solidarity with others, to show what God is like by how we live. That's what the church is called to do. When we see the uh, scared teenager with an unwanted, unplanned pregnancy, our job is not to stand over her and condemn. Our job is to get on our knees and say, how can we serve you? How can we love you? How can we walk with you? How can we love your baby? How can we make this a viable option for you to go full term with this? How can we come around you? What do we need to sacrifice in order to enter into your, your, your situation? When it comes to the youth in, this, in the Twin Cities, our job is to ask, how can we serve you? How can we enter into your life, meet you where you are at? How can we, uh, we, we, we come into the contact with the, the drug addict or the street person or the prostitute or whatever? Our job is to say, how can we love you? How can we serve you? We're, we're ambassadors of reconciliation. How can we enter into your issue? How can we make your issues our issues? The job of the church, ambassadors of reconciliation. And here's how I think it applies racially. Uh, Ephraim talked about the weight that you carry as a non-white in terms of reconciliation, which is about forgiveness. It's a little bit different, I think, coming from a, a white perspective. Here's what I think reconciliation looks like from, from a, a white person in this country. It's about entering into, being willing to be stretched to enter into perspectives that maybe don't come natural to you. Let me explain what I mean. As a white person, I, I, I uh, am I'm standing at the top on the whole of, of a, a system that was constructed by white people, largely on the, the, the bloody bat, blacks of slaves and the, and, and the broken treaties with Native Americans. And, and the system favors me. We set it up. And it's easy for me not to be aware of how life is for other people. Most white folks, frankly, aren't aware of racial issues, or they're, they're aware of them, but they don't seem like they're that big and they're that pervasive and it's a thing of the past and, and, and things really aren't that bad. And see, when you're on the mountaintop and you look out laterally, all you see is other mountaintops, so it's easy to think that everything's a mountaintop, but it's not. To be an ambassador of reconciliation means you begin to look around and enter into the perspectives of others and make their issues your issues. You see, the problem is, is that I, as a white person, uh, I, I don't usually confront racial issues towards me. I get the option of deciding whether I want to be involved in racial issues or not. Other non-whites don't have that, that option. 
I do. That's part of the privilege of, of, of being white. And uh, see, I, 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 don't get, I don't get followed in stores. You know, no, one, no one suspects me. I don't, uh, when I get pulled over, I can pretty much assume that it's you know, for just ordinary legal reasons. I'm going too fast or my you know, headlight's out or something like that. But if I'm a person of color, uh, there's sometimes other issues going on. And I believe that most of the police force, the vast majority of them are, are good, honest people, but not all of them are. And, and when they're not, I'm not the one who pays for that. It's usually non-whites. But see, I don't experience that. Uh, you know, when, when there's uh, uh, economic injustice and, and uh, I, the bank doesn't give me a, a mortgage that I, I thought I qualified for. As a white person, I don't need to second guess that. I can just know that, well, I must not have qualified. But for people of color, it's not that way. If I apply for an apartment and, I don't, and they say there's none available, I can just pretty much as a white person assume that none's available. But if you're a person of color, it might be different. We had a person in our congregation who kind of became an advocate for a family in, in the homeless shelter. And she was just amazed at, at how this thing went down. She would call apartment complexes, and as a white person, they would say, Oh, yeah, there's something available. Why don't you come by this afternoon? When the family she was advocating for would call, an African-American family, there's nothing available. Same apartment building, two minutes apart. But see, as a white person, I'd never know about that. How would I know? I, I, I was amazed. I listened to a radio station some time ago that was talking about racial profiling in a number of different areas. And uh, a lot of white people were calling in angry as hornets. Like, this is, this is a crock. This is a fair country. It's liberty and justice for all. Land of the free and the brave. Equal opportunity for everybody. It's a fair system. What are they whining about? And what I'm wondering is this. If racial profiling is taking place, how would you know? It don't happen to you. You know, no, no, statistics say that, that if you're black, you've got a, uh, 27 times more likely to be pulled over than if you're white. But see, if you're not aware of that, then how would you know? That's why it seems like it's, it's a little issue. To be an ambassador of reconciliation means that you intentionally go about to open up your eyes and listen to the perspective of people who are non-white and believe them when they talk. Ephraim's experience as an American is very different than my experience. And the only way I'm going to learn about that I won't understand the walls that, that divide black and white, Native American, Latino, Hispanic, until I'm willing to enter into uh, that issue and make that their problem my problem, to enter into that and to say that we're in this together, you see. So when you find out that in, in Minnesota, 25, uh, that in Minnesota a, a black youth is more likely to end up in the prison system than in college, and that's true of almost every state in the union, see, now that... I, to be an ambassador of reconciliation means that, that I don't tag that as a black problem. Why don't they get their act together? Land of the free and brave. Why don't they just work a little harder, try a little harder? No, I, I say, you know what? That, that, that's an us problem. That, that's not a black problem. That's a human problem. That's a Christian problem. That's an ambassador of Jesus Christ kind of problem. And I want to enter into uh, your life to say, what can we do about that? You see, when there's economic injustice, that's not a minority problem. That, 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 that's an us problem. You know, when, when, a, when, a, when a, a black person's pulled over and ends up being suffocated because they were uh, by the police when they were just going too fast, that's not a black problem. That's an us problem. You see, when, when there's inner city issues, that's not a, their problem. That's an us problem. It's about entering into. When, when people are being followed in stores because of, of unwarranted suspicion, that's not their problem. That's my problem. Amen. You see, and to enter into the body of Christ as an ambassador of reconciliation means this. I listen. I, I build bridges to enter into your perspective and listen to it and believe it and then work with you to, uh, uh, to, ch to change the situation. It even means this, as a white person, to, uh, even when you are confronted with mistrust on the part of non-whites, 
who, uh, you know, they, they, they maybe question your intentionality. It'd be easy to, to dismiss that. Oh, come yeah, see, I tried. But to even make that your problem, because there's a reason why that mistrust is there. You see, and, and, and to, to say, okay, what can I, how can I serve to begin to try to uh, reverse this mistrust? I was at a church down south at a conference that was all about bridging to the culture, and, and it was a good, good conference, all about serving the community and networking churches to make a difference in the community, and, and it was just a really good conference. We really enjoyed it a lot. But it was, in a, it was in a city that had had a history of some real serious racial issues, still was very racially segregated, and I noticed at the conference that almost everybody was white, and all the leadership was white males. And so I went to one of them at the end of this, actually, it was kind of an open discussion, and I asked the question, um, now, now, over half of the population in the city is non-white. Uh, what are you... How significant is the non-white representation in all of the bridging stuff you're doing, reaching the community, the networking of the churches? You know, uh, how, are, are they on board with this? And the person responded by saying, well, you know, we've invited them, but they just don't seem to want to have much to do with us. That was it. It's like, you know, that's not my problem. But you see, if, if that is your problem, and you've got to find out why. Maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe it's the fact that you plan everything and invite them along as sort of the caboose, you know? Maybe if you empowered them to have some of the decision-making. In fact, maybe if you submitted to them and said, why don't you teach us something about how, what it is to minister to the inner city? Uh, you know, empower them in a position. Uh, don't, don't be, you know, calling all the shots and inviting them along at the last minute. Uh, why don't you ask the question, how can you serve them? How can you come under them? What can they teach you? What can you teach them? How can you work together? And it may take five years. It may take 15 years. But you see... If you're an ambassador of reconciliation, your job is to represent the country of reconciliation. You don't have an option to opt out of this thing. You see, this isn't a, a choice of favor you're doing. This is something that's got to be done. In Jesus Christ, tell me if you agree with this. In Jesus Christ, to be an ambassador of reconciliation means this. Uh, there is, you, you operate on the faith that there is no wall that is too, too high and no wall that is too thick and no gulf that is too deep, and no chasm that is too wide, that in the name of Jesus Christ, we can't bridge it. We can't tear that wall down. We can't plow through it. We can't build bridges where there were walls. Amen. That's what it means to be an ambassador of reconciliation, to serve. Praise God. Praise God, and in Jesus' name, we can do it. It's not a government pro governmental program that's going to do it. It's in Jesus' name and the power of the Spirit. By the Almighty God, it can get done. Amen. Ain't Amen. no mountain high, high enough. enough. Yeah. Ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me away from you. <laughs> we better just stick to preaching, I think. Amen to that one. Cool if we did that. Amen. As we close in prayer, maybe God is speaking to your heart. Maybe based on what I said or what Greg said, or what God is speaking to you beyond what we've said. You need to take the step of reconciliation. You know, for reconciliation to be real, there are people that have to get out of denial. And there are people that have to go the extra mile. And both of those are hard. To step out of your comfort zone and to say, you know, I think I've been in denial. I, I pretty much lived my life like everything was okay because everything's been okay for me. 
Or you may be at the point of, you know, I've been walking around with so much anger and rage that I've been unwilling to go the extra mile of forgiveness. Or you may be saying, look, Ephraim, you don't understand. I, man, I forgive all the time. Every day I go to work and I smile like everything's okay. I, I know I go places and I act like it's all right. And I'm tired. What do you mean go the extra mile? I, my feet already have blisters from all the miles I've already been walking. Have you been carrying the ring by yourself? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to allow you to live in truth? but also live in a spirit of forgiveness. Not so much because the other person is going to change right now, but you need that forgiveness and that grace because you can't walk around anymore with that rage and that anger that's in you. Can you really afford to walk around another day with that depression and that heartache and that rage that is in you? For some of you today, you need to get out of denial. And for some of you, you need to take the extra mile to forgive. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you know that um, you need the invasion of God's reconciling love, maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ before as your personal Savior, you need to live in the reality that God has already paid the price. God has already took on your sin so that you could wear the robe of righteousness through Christ Jesus. If you know today that you need to receive the radical love of Jesus Christ and to leave here a different person, a new creature, would you just raise your hand? If you're saying, it's me, I'm the one, I need to... Amen, brother, I see that hand. Praise God. If you're here today and you know that you need to step out of denial so that you can build bridges of reconciliation and peace across ethnic or gender or class, whatever the line is, it could be within your own family, but you need to step out of denial and admit there is an issue and I need to deal with it. If that's you and you need prayer, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Thank you for that boldness, sisters and if you are here and you know that you need to go the extra mile to forgive, to love, to start dialogue again, I'm not asking you to get back into something dysfunctional or unhealthy. I'm not telling you to be in something abusive, but do you need to be released of the depression, the anger, the rage that is inside of you, and you know that you need to go the extra mile through Christ Jesus and get some peace inside of your heart? If that's you, would you raise your hand? you need prayer for that. Praise God. If you raised your hand for any one of those things, would you just stand with me as I close in prayer? Just stand. If you raised your hand for any one of those things, thank you. Would you just stand where you are? Let me pray with you as we close. Dear God, I lift up sisters and brothers that have raised their hands saying, yes, it's me. I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth. Jesus is Lord. Jesus took on my sin, died and rose again that I could wear the robe of righteousness. We thank you for these sisters and brothers that stand to be a new creature, to live a new life. 
I thank you for the sisters and brothers that are standing saying, yes, I've lived in denial. I've walked around pretending like everything's okay and I can't do that anymore. I know that I need to take some proactive steps to build bridges and to learn, to study, to understand what it means to be an ambassador of reconciliation. And God, I lift up the sisters and brothers that have stood up. And there are probably people sitting down that didn't stand up, that are unwilling to confess at this time that, you know, I have anger in me. I have rage in me. I have bitterness in me. There, there's, there's some meanness in me because I've been done wrong. I, I've, I've been pulled over when I shouldn't have got pulled over. I've, I've been looked at as just a body part that sells a product. And people have not given me the respect and the dignity of who I really am. And, and, and we we need, God, some healing on the inside of our soul. We need to be liberated and set free. For the Spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. Let that Spirit reign in this place and beyond. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you raised your hand to accept Christ and stood up, there's a brother right over here, Pastor Chuck. He has some information over here at the table, some free resources. He'd love to talk to you. He'd love to give you those resources. Don't, don't leave here without knowing that you're not alone in this walk. If you need further prayer for any reason, there are prayer counselors that will be standing here up front. They would love to pray with you. They would love to talk with you. Reconciliation is a hard road, but it's doable through Christ Jesus. As we go, go in peace and go as an ambassador of reconciliation. God bless you.